Okay, so uh, we're coming to you uh, with a first emergency podcast that we've ever done because we just felt like we needed a place to come and chat a little bit about the terrible, sad news about uh, the great legendary Rush drummer and lyricist Neil Peart, who just was announced that he passed away at age 67, battling brain cancer for three years. And he actually died, uh, they're saying, on January 7th. Um, and we're doing this on Friday evening, January 10th. So somehow this news was kept quiet even for those three days, much much less the, the last three years, which um, no one had ever mentioned it. You know, if you, I'm sure anybody has been, listens to the radio or watches the news or anything, it was never mentioned. You know, it was not anything that ever brought up. Um, so we thought we would jump on here because we just felt like we had to. I don't know. This is sort of a, one of the biggest ones I can recall, especially for our website and genre and audience and, and that type of thing. And uh, so with me is uh, Jeff Bailey and Kyle Fagala, who uh, were available. Hey guys. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Hi, guys. Yeah. Not, not just available, but also willing. But yeah, terrible, yeah, terrible yeah. news. Terrible news. And, um, well, I, you know, we don't really have a plan. We're not going to do a top five songs or anything. Um, doesn't seem really appropriate for that for this time. And I'm sure we will do that. Um, we did a rush podcast a while back, I think with John Wesley, uh, as a guest and we did albums. So we certainly have room for, uh, songs or Neil Peart songs or Neil Peart drum solos or this, that, and the other thing, which we can do. Um, and, uh, if anybody's been online, I mean, the, just the barrage of posts and tweets and comments and shares, it's been unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, and I was yeah. just listening to Sirius XM cause I figured they might be talking about it and, and, uh, sure enough, right away they were. And they immediately called uh, Eddie Trunk to chime in on it. And of course, who other than Mike Portnoy to chime on it? So he was on right away. Right. And, uh, and he, he, he only shared uh, a, a little bit, but, but he said that he had, was aware that um, uh, Neil was sick and knew that it was eventually coming. Um, he didn't know it was coming this week or, or anything to that extent, but he didn't really share much else besides that. I guess they've been friends and he knew the family pretty well and, and, and that type of thing. Um, but I, you know, Kyle, I'll start with you, you being, uh, the drummer in our little group here, what did he mean to you and what, uh, what kind of influence did he have on you? When did you discover him as a drummer? You know, that type of thing. So I got into Neil about the same time that I started playing drums. And I think that's probably a pretty common story for, for people that are drummers over the last, you know, 30, 40 years. And so, um, you know, I got into drums when I was uh, 14. And so that would have been in the, in the 90s. And Neil was still relevant. I still remember, uh, you know, getting on internet when there wasn't even YouTube, but you could find videos. And as a drummer, a young drummer, you know, the first thing I would search for was drum solos. And so the first drum solo it would bring up was actually, I still remember it. it's, it's the rhythm method. And it's from uh, 1988. It's a show of hands. And so he's got like this black tank top on and it's, uh, it's amazing. He goes through all these different styles. He plays the electronics. He ends with this like big band flourish. I mean, the kind of drum solo that he built throughout the years and just being absolutely blown away. He does this thing where he switches hands on the floor, Tom and the snare and just seeing that as the apex of drumming, like there could be no better than that. And I think the other thing about Neil that's, that's influential is that he not only 
plays to the song, but he's also able to play bombastically. But at the same time, you know, he's always growing and uh, advancing the instrument. And uh, he's famously known for being meticulous and for practicing his parts many, many times in a row without making a mistake before recording it. Um, not to mention he writes lyrics, and so that's influential. Um, but I saw someone on Twitter just now say that, you know, a, a part of every drummer died today. And I think, you know, as a drummer, you, you kind of have to be a drummer maybe to understand that. Of course, as fans of prog rock, a part of us has died too. Um, but he's influenced just about everyone who's a drummer. Um, and for me, again, he was the top and he always remains that. And to be a household name making prog rock epics with, you know, complex and deeply intricate parts and introspective lyrics is just really, he's, he's one of a kind. Uh, there's really no one like Neil. Uh, just before we came on, I was just flicking through the, uh, an, an edition of Drummer Magazine um, that Mike Portnoy edited, and um, mm-hmm. he, he interviewed some of his heroes, and um, he, he talks to Neil about sort of his influences and his style, and the three people that, that Mike picks out as being influential on, on Neil's style, um, which it turns out Neil agrees with, <laughs> um, were Buddy Rich, and I guess, you know, I think someone, it might actually have been whenever we were talking to Mike earlier this week, um, talked about, you know, the swing that is there. Yep. That is something that's very distinctively him. The second one was Keith Moon. So, you know, Neil Peart is known as being incredibly disciplined. You talked about rehearsing. In that interview, he talks about rehearsing for rehearsals. You know, the only drummer who rehearsed for rehearsals. <laughs> um but yet, he, he his playing did have that chaotic, reckless element of the Keith Moon factor. And thirdly, um, um, Michael Giles, King Crimson, mm. particularly in the court of the Crimson King, were again exciting playing, but in a very much within a structure. Um, you know, and and he was something who you know who brought something very unique. Rush itself, a band that with the exception of album number one, didn't change their lineup at all. Um, in this genre that we operate in, lineup changes are, are par for the course, yet they didn't do that. But but a band that, for progressive rock, they truly progressed um, through different phases, through different styles, be that lyrical, be that musical, be that embracing technology. And that just wasn't a case of, mm. you know, Getty playing a Moog. It was... You know, technology ran throughout even all of the um, the drumming side of it. Um, for me, the era that I was kind of most into Rush was probably around the late '80s. Um, you know, and, and but potentially maybe not the albums that lots of fans go to. But um, you know, Grace Under Pressure, Power Windows, Hold Your Fire, mm. Presto, Roll the Bones, Counterparts. Test record. I just love that run um, of albums. Um, I only ever saw them live once, um, being over in this remote island of Ireland. Um, they <laughs> right. played in 2011 on the Time Machine tour with a complete career-encompassing set list. Just, just had pretty much everything that um, I could have hoped for, including all of moving pictures. But the, the thing that the other thing that I think makes them pretty unique in in the genre is the humor. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the between or before, after, and between interval videos where the guys just completely parodied themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so much of prog can be 
um, stuffy, self-important, <laughs> and you know, the uh, on on that tour, there was sort of the was it like I think it was La Vila Strangado began with a kind of polka sort of <laughs> style. The encore began with this polka version of La Vila Strangado, and I think they ended with Working Man, which again it started off as like a reggae song you know and they they dropped an irish song into closer to the heart and you know they apart from the sheer technical aspect you know with the washing machines churning you know instead of behind them instead of amps and you know there was there there was just something about that combination that was amazing and neil was you know very very much um, a key part of everything that happened, you know, a true band, a true collaboration, and a and a huge, huge loss. I, I mean, I think I first the first real album that I listened to and really absorbed and read the lyrics and learned that he was the main lyric writer and and all of that was Presto, and mm-hmm. um, even that album, if you go back and listen to it, the, there's some amazing lyrics on some songs and. And still amazing drumming even then. Um, yeah. you, you know, Chain Lightning, I, I remember, is just one of my favorites. Show Don't Tell was still pretty good. And they weren't doing the technical stuff like Hemispheres and all that. But he was able to still be technical within those songs. He still knew how to do it and fit where it made sense. And I think that's what I always remembered, even on songs like Limelight or even you know, more of the commercial stuff leading up through Clockwork Angels. He always played within the song and wrote parts for the song. I mm-hmm. I talked about Portnoy with this, that that I felt like he's, that's his greatest strength also. This, never mind all the double bass or whatever else, is that mm. he writes parts that you can sing like a guitar part mm-hmm. or a bass part. And I think Neil was the first per, first drummer I can think of well, maybe Ringo also. I'll give him, I'm going to give Ringo a lot of credit for doing that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but Neil did it in a way with this kind of music, which it was sort of unthinkable. I mean, Tom Sawyer is not Tom Sawyer if those drum fills are not in yeah. it. Yeah, without without yeah. eight toms down the line. Um, I mean, he is yeah. truly. You know, we we talk about Keith Moon being one of the first lead drummers, as it were. But Neil Peart is certainly that. He's a, he's a lead drummer in a band with a lead bassist and a lead guitarist and obviously a lead singer. Um, and, then, and then Neil's the lead lyricist, you know. So uh, he's holding down uh, things in a way that, you know, very few other drummers do that. Um, I think also it's just unique in that when you think of classic rock radio, which is what I was raised on in northeast Arkansas, you don't have a lot of access to, you know, let's say progressive rock music. There's none of that where I grew up. But Rush is that link. And I mean, it's that link to this sort of next level of music as I see it. And uh, I mean, there I don't think there is a, another prog rock band that crossed over as much as Rush did and still continues to do so on classic rock radio. Um, and again, it's, it's as a drummer, it's funny because people will ask, you know, so who's your favorite drummer? And a lot of them will offer up above all other names, Neil Peart, which is funny. Now they'll say Pert, but you know they <laughs> they mean Neil Peart, you know. And so just that they know that name and they understand. I thought it was Pert for a long time too. I think, we're, I think we all do. I think we've all said it wrong one time or another. I also thought Peisty was paste symbols, so it's okay. Um, but uh, you know, it's one of those rare guys. Like even a, even someone that has nothing to do with drums, never set behind a drum kit. Can, can hear, I mean, Neil's excellence and his way of drumming and the fact that he hits the heart, the drums hard and intently, there's no missed note or misplaced note. He knows what he's wanting to play 
and he plays in it. It fits perfectly, but it's also on this level that's like, oh my goodness. I mean, there's only so many musicians that can play that way. It's like a Hendrix type thing. It's like anybody on earth would, would look and say, oh, that's amazing. Um, and yeah. he was able to do that and people recognize that. I mean, I'm looking on, I'm fascinated by this as we're talking because I'm looking on Twitter and I'm, and I'm following timeline about, about his passing. And the influence is more apparent even here than anywhere because yeah. it's not just it's not Prague, it's not just rock drummers, it's everyone. Yeah. Brian Wilson just wrote a comment about Neil Peart passing. Uh, you got yeah. Ray Alder, you got uh, Michael Stan, which is a, a death metal guy that we've had on before. Scott Ian. Uh, there's comedians that are type King Diamond, metal websites, Revolver, Rolling Stone. It's it's literally the entire landscape of music. Every genre, every type of magazine, every artist, they're all writing about it. It's all influenced. It's pretty remarkable. I don't remember seeing one like this. Yeah. I think the other thing I'd give a shout out to is is um, his writing. Um, I read um, Ghost Rider, which is the book that he wrote um, about embarking on a long distance motorcycle journey across North and Central America, um, Rush went on hiatus because neil lost his daughter and then his wife within the space of less than a year and um he headed out and it's this incredible um travel philosophical um you know reflection and i suppose journey towards him figuring out really a reason to live i suppose and um as it turned out a new a new love in his life and um it, it's it's a it's a brilliant read and traveling music um which is which is a book that he wrote um mostly large parts of it are him tra- traveling from from place to place on the rush tour um on his bike um but again it sort of talks back about his childhood and um stuff like that just and, and really brilliant reads even if you don't like rush <laughs> did you guys see that that last movie um uh the one about co- commemorating the 40th uh, uh r40 or whatever that was a time stand still that whole movie yep. yeah 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 i went i actually thought in the theater when it was out it was and i really enjoyed it i thought it would be um i thought it would be not what it was actually it was it was an enjoyable movie and sad yeah yeah, you know, yeah. very sort of sad, but also made you feel like, wow, this this was a major, yeah. like like really, there's no no band like that. Right. Like, you know, some people don't like everything they did either, but that's never even the point. Right, um, right. You know, you can appreciate it. So let's talk. Uh, you know, favorite songs, favorite albums. What are some of the stuff if you were putting on Rush today to to sort of dive into feeling about this? What are you putting on? Well, I did put on Rush this morning, actually, because I've been doing a bit of research into um, just writing a bit of an article about um, Permanent Waves, whose uh, whose anniversary, uh, whose thirtieth anniversary comes in in a in a week or so, and um, I'd actually gone back and picked up some of the um, recent last few years deluxe editions, and uh, I I am. Um, was playing hemispheres in the car on my drive in this morning and there's a, a live disc from 1979 in it um you know which begins passage to bangkok xanadu and the trees and you know that was as far as i got uh, before my commute was over but you know what you said earlier on about 
you know, not just keeping time. <laughs> um, you know, the drum parts are so integral to, you know, you sing them when you're when you're when you're singing the song. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, those are those are incredible. Um, all of the all of the the you know all of the classics. There, there's a there's a run of songs that I really love. Um, you know, forced uh, particularly. Um, Hold your fire, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Force ten, time stand still, um, lock and key, you know. Mission. Um, I, I just we we often joke amongst ourselves about there are, there are those who are into prog just for the shred and the technical stuff. I I love the words and mm-hmm. um, you know just I think the words and all of those things are incredible. And you know I know that's not a particularly well loved. Um, album maybe by some people um but also um roll the bones um the 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 rap that Neil does that <laughs> isn't it i can remember yeah. the uh the, the cd single of that came out and there was a little interview on it and he talked about the various sort of styles that they they were trying to do that in and he sort of thought of a sort of english you know getting john cleese to the uh, jack relax type thing and then they did this slow down voicing you know that was i know that's not drumming but it was maybe one of his only vocal appearances i think on a rush album Mm -hmm. um but again you know again the other you know the other album i love um grace under pressure and uh you know Distant Early Warning, uh, Red Sector mm-hmm. A, and um, th- those tra- those are tracks that. I really, but you know, there's so much. You know, there's you, it's, you know, how do you it's pick, such how a do you vast pick? catalog. It's yeah. pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, I I might go to the recent record. You know, and and uh, the song Clockwork Angels is is just tremendous. Caravan is great. The Garden, which ends it, I think, is lyrically just brilliant. Um, there's a lot of great melodies and great songwriting on that last record. And I think it's that, that album is as good a last album for a band that's been around for 40 years that there, that you could possibly make. I mean, it's, it's real, it's really good. It's not, it's not like, Oh, it's a band, an old band that made a good album. It's like really, really good. Yeah. And even some of the band members consider it their favorite album. I think it might be Getty that says that. Um, it's funny you guys jump on the two eras that are probably like the least, you know, highly regarded among, <laughs> but what's funny is, you know, the first, one of the first CDs that I bought for myself, especially when I was getting into music that wasn't Metallica or ACDC or, you know, that kind of stuff is you're sort of going to that next level. Uh, it was Rush. And I remember being at Hastings, which is like a record store, having enough money for one album and holding a few in my hands and ultimately going with Chronicles disc two which is the, the latter era. Of you know Rush. what's funny? I, I'm going to jump in. Sorry, yeah, I'm going to interrupt your story real quick because everyone in high school had Chronicles. Yeah. That was, right? That was like yeah. everybody you knew had that. It, I, just, I don't know why. I just remember, well, it brought up that album to me when you mentioned it. When you it. say you bought this so, too. So the, iron, yeah, so the irony is they were, sold, they were sold separately, I guess at one point, and I picked this too because it started with moving pictures, which was what I was most familiar with. Um, from classic rock radio because it had Tom Sawyer and Limelight and those songs. So naturally, I, I gravitated towards that one. Um, of course, later on, I went back to the other stuff. But my first entry point was 
these albums that a lot of people kind of lost touch with Rush over, like, you know, Grace Under Pressure, Power Windows, Hold Your Fire. But I love those albums. I love the songs. I still do. I love the cheesy music videos for those songs. Um, I just love that era. And it's funny because I didn't experience it in real time. I experienced it, you know, 10 or 15 years later. Um, but I just loved it. And of course, the albums I expected you would talk about are like, you know, 2112, Farewell to Kings, Hemispheres, Permanent Waves, which are filled with great songs. And I still listen to those albums, but but I think I think they're such classics. It's near. It's just yeah. sort of taken yeah. as taken as read. You know. Uh, I mean, I taking it. My my other. It's interesting you talk about compilation because, um, just glancing at the discography, that would have been around about nineteen ninety. I was talking earlier on about, um, in fact, last week with some of you about, um, the the era because I'm a little bit older mm. than you, um, and. Uh, the era where a lot of the serious rock bands didn't do compilations yeah. and so if you wanted to get an overview of a band you went for the live album and rush actually the live albums are all until probably the early 2000s when there was basically one for every tour um they were sort of like staging points mm-hmm. um so all all the world's a stage you know was kind of up to 2112 i think and then exit stage left was up to moving pictures and then show of hands came next and i think it was up to hold your fire or power, win- power windows maybe um and then there was the different different stages which was um uh, test for echo and I, I remember the one you know the first rush album that i bought was um show of hands because it was you know it was relatively recent it had the kind of the big hits, the Tom Sawyer, the Closer to the Heart, um, but a lot of the more recent stuff. And that actually thinking about what I would play, um, that that probably would be would be the go to one. But then I remember getting seeing the renting, wow, renting the VHS <laughs> of that. And I think on the VHS there is a which isn't on the album, I think they do a bit of twenty one twelve. And that was the first time that I I'd ever heard it, I think. Um, I also, unless my other Rush claim to fame, I'm sure I've shared before, is that I am slightly, despite being from Northern Ireland, I'm slightly distantly related to um, the guy on the cover of, um, um, what is it? The guy in the, the guy standing in front of the, the star in the back of Twilight. Really? There you go. Fun, fun fact. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. It's very, very tenuous, but I know the link. <laughs> 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 or rather, the my mo- entire news feed on Facebook is Neil Peart. Yeah, <laughs> my entire thing, every single post by every person I know, <laughs> it's crazy. So as as we're talking about sort of albums, another thing that kind of comes to mind that might be unique to me as as a drummer is there's a DVD that came out. Uh, I'm reading now 2002, but it was one of the first like drum DVDs that I, I rented and then I purchased because it was so good. It's called A Work in Progress. And it's like three or four hours long. And he goes through how he plays all the parts on Test for Echo. And he sort of famously around this time, he worked with a jazz instructor, Freddie Gruber, and he changed the way he held the sticks. And so the way he approached that album was more from a jazz background. And he goes into a lot of those details. And just to think of someone that's considered, you know, one of the greatest drummers, if not the greatest drummer of all time by a lot of people to change the way he holds the sticks it's 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 bizarre i don't know that anyone else has ever done that um and he did that and of course he went back to matchstick or holding them you know more normally what we think of from rock drummers but 
just the fact that he was willing to reinvent himself 30 years in is another just incredible thing. And that DVD in particular was, was just huge. You hear a drummer before YouTube talk about how he approaches drums. And of course, he's a professor. That's why they call him that, because the way he understands the drummers and can communicate it is like a, you know, it's like a graduate level professor. I mean, it's uh, really second to none in that way. And and we should talk a little bit about live shows sure. because live, I mean, not only did he have to play this material in three hour concerts, which was crazy, um, but his drum solos were probably the highlight of the thing. Yeah. And for most shows, drum solos is when you get up and go to the bathroom, <laughs> at least for a lot of people. And some drummers shouldn't, shouldn't be doing drum solos. Right. Um, but he was the master of it. And I think most drummers would, would agree with that. And he made them interesting. Some, some, you know, always incorporating different stuff. Sometimes he incorporated electronics and, and, you know, different kind of music segments into it and all this kind of stuff. I've, I, I think I saw Rush only like three times. I mean, there's people that you hear have seen them 50 times, a right. hundred times. It's, you know, this <laughs> craziness, but, um, uh, all, you know, a highlight to watch him just play um, in concert because it was, it was as interesting as what, what else was going on on the stage. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, I remember seeing them in Houston. I've only saw, I saw them twice. I saw them, uh, the moving pictures tour, I guess they call it the time machine tour where they played the whole album. The one that, one that Jeff saw yeah. 2010 maybe. Yeah. And uh, we drove to Houston and it was in this like amphitheater outside and it was so hot. It was like in the middle of summer, it's probably like July had to be like a hundred degrees, you know, and no telling how hot it was behind the drums. And I actually remember him making a mistake, which, you know, he's, he's so good. He's playing these super difficult parts at this point. He's in his sixties and he made a mistake. And it was like, like seeing Achilles, like, you know, getting damaged or something, you know, like it was unbelievable. I remember looking at my brother and being like, Oh, and then of course we went back to air drumming. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's something about that band and seeing them be able to perform this music live and even play it better still. Uh, especially knowing how hard it is to pull off those drum parts. And so precisely, and the fact that you make one mistake in a three-hour set, and that stands out in my mind, um, you know, it's just, it's just incredible. If you if you want something to close this off, because I know we've done this quite spontaneously tonight, again, glancing at that drummer magazine, he says something that I think is probably a, a fitting ending towards the end of the interview. I, I'm just reading this from what this is what Neil is saying. He said, there's a quote I used in my book by Bob Dylan, where he was asked what art was all about. Mm. And he said, the highest purpose of art is to inspire. What else can you do for anyone but inspire them? Mm. And glancing down my feed, there's absolutely no doubt. I'm seeing Jimmy Keegan, Nick DiVirgilio, Mike Portnoy, um, any yeah. number of people stepping up to say how you inspired them what a so what a what a what a line to leave on what a legacy to leave i guess we'll leave it there guys uh this is a sad day for the music world for the prog world for any rush fan uh all the drummers uh so go crank some rush tonight mm. uh and uh you know we'll see you all again soon thanks guys thanks thanks, thanks.